All right, quick catch up real fast uh, for the folks that were not here last week or if you missed last week or if this is your first week here. We kind of answered the question right off the bat of what is an ethos? Like what is this ethos thing all about? And this is what we said. The, an ethos is the spirit, it's the character, it's the morality, it's the nature, disposition, and customs uh, of a people, of a tribe, or of a culture. I, I kind of compared it last week to uh, like an undercurrent. If you've ever stood in, in a stream where the water's moving fast, or maybe you stood out in the ocean you know, during high tide, you know that there's a current, right? You can't see it necessarily, but you can feel it, and you can definitely see its effects on things around it. And the truth is this, all of us have an ethos whether you know it or not. You have an ethos, whether it's something that you've kind of crafted for your life or whether it's something that you've kind of bought into and jumped into, you have an ethos. And just to kind of make it really simple, our ethos is this. It's what makes the I will or I will not statements that ultimately define and direct our lives. And we all have these. We all have these kind of internal statements that say, like, I will do this. This is something I will do. I will pursue this. I will live this way. Or maybe it's, I will not do this. I will not do that. I will not live like that. That goes against my ethos. And so the key for us, right, in terms of all all of us getting on the same page today as we go forward, when it comes to, like, the meaning and purpose of an ethos in our lives is to understand this. Our ethos, mine, yours, ours together, right, whatever it is, Whatever your ethos is, is powerful. And it will, not it might, it will have a significant impact on our lives and also on the lives of the people that are connected to us for good or for bad. And, and, and here's the thing. Many of us, somewhere like in the recesses of our minds, we know this is true because we lived it. We've experienced this. Everyone in here, our lives have been impacted. They've been shaped in, in one way or another by the ethos of someone else. I mean, maybe it was a parent growing up, and they never said this, they never advertised this, but you knew that their ethos was this, when things get hard, I will bail. When things get difficult, I will quit. When things don't go the way I want them to, when things aren't ideal, I'll leave. And they did. And that had a profound effect on your life and the lives of the people around you, and your personal ethos. Or maybe it was the other end of that spectrum. It was, it was someone whose ethos was, I will provide and I will protect the people connected to me in life. I will do this. I, I will not quit. I will not bail. I will not leave. And that ethos, that personal ethos, had a profound effect on your life and how you've developed your own personal ethos today. So, so the bottom line for us to kind of know and understand is this, is when it comes to our ethos, we've got to get it right. It's something we got to get right because so much hangs in the balance, whether it's constructive or destructive, our ethos will have a powerful effect on our lives and the lives of others. And that's really what this entire series is all about. That's what we're going to be talking about over the next month or so, right? And we're going to follow Jesus. We're going to follow Jesus' teaching, which is always a good idea, right? We're going to follow Jesus' teaching to both identify and take the fight to these enemies in our hearts that maybe we've kind of ignored. We just haven't dealt with them. You know, we've known that they've existed or maybe they've just gone like SEAL Team 6 and they're really stealthy and they just make their way in there, right? And it's like, how did you get here? Jesus is going to help us. He's going to help us deal with those. He's going to help us take the fight to the enemies in our hearts and the strongholds that they've built up in our lives. These kind of fortified, defensive positions that they've kind of built up in our lives. Why? Well, so that we can break free of an old ethos 
of an old way that kind of defined and directed our lives, and we can take on a new ethos, one that we're calling the ethos of warrior disciples, because it sounds tough, right? And if you look in scripture, you, you see this, like Jesus' disciples, they had an ethos. It wasn't always like this. We talked about this last week, that, that their ethos really began as really, they were scared, they were afraid, they denied even knowing Jesus, they ran away when things got difficult, but something happened, and what happened was Jesus resurrected from the dead, I mean, they, they publicly executed Jesus, they buried him in a tomb, they rolled a rock in front of it, chained the rock shut, set up an armed guard in front of the tomb, and it didn't stop Jesus from walking out three days later. And when that happened, what they realized, everything Jesus said was true. And so their ethos went from kind of run and hide or, or bail or trust, trust, to, to trust myself to run my own life, it changed to something that sounds like this, I will seek first and advance the kingdom of heaven. I will love God with all my heart, my mind, my soul, and my strength, and I will love people, and I will make disciples in the same way. I will trust that God will provide for me and those connected to me with all we need to thrive in his mission to seek and save the lost, and I will not stop no matter what. We see that ethos change, and what changed that ethos was the resurrection and new life of Jesus. Now, here's the other thing that we see, right? We see this in Scripture, that Jesus had a really intentional and strategic way in his teachings, right, to, to kind of get at the enemies in our hearts and the strongholds that they've built up in our lives. And that was talking about money. And you're like, daggone it. Like, today was the day that I decided to show back up to church, right? And now we're going to talk about, or like maybe it was, I, I invited a friend. Are you kidding me? Right? We're going to talk about money? Yes. And I know it touches a nerve, I do. And so I want to re reiterate something that I said last Sunday, so hopefully everybody can just kind of breathe and calm down, right? For Jesus, money is not a finance issue. It's a faith issue. It's a faith and a faithfulness issue. Now, well, what are those things? Faith is what we believe or trust or put our confidence in to provide for us and take care of us in life, right? It's who, we, who or what we believe and we trust and we're confident that they'll do what they say they, that they're going to do. That they're going to provide what they say that they're going to provide. That they're going to meet our expectations when it comes to taking care of us. Whoever that is or whatever that is, that's who I believe in. And the reality is this. I'll be faithful to whatever I have faith in. That's how it works. Faithfulness is how we live our lives. Faith is what we believe in. Faithfulness is how I live my life, my life based on what I believe in. And the fact is this. We will be faithful to whatever we have faith in, or whoever we have faith in. And I'm going to say something kind of bold and kind of direct, right? The facts of how faith and faithfulness work don't care about your feelings when it comes to money. It's just how it works. The facts of faith and faithfulness, what you believe in, who you trust in, what you put your confidence in to take care of you, to provide for you, what you have expectations in to do what they say they're going to do, and the way you bend and shape your life around whoever or whatever that is, those are the facts. And as much as we can sit here and go, well, I don't want to talk about money. I hate talking about money. The facts of faith and faithfulness, they don't care about how you feel. Facts don't care about your feelings when it comes to our, our finances. But here's what Jesus cares about the most. Jesus cares the most about your faith and faithfulness, way more than he cares about your finances. So don't miss this, right? 
Jesus doesn't talk about money, and we are not going to talk about money for the next few weeks because he or we want something from you. That's not why we're doing this. The reason that Jesus talks about money, the reason that we're going to talk about money, is because of what Jesus and what we desire and want for you. And that is to live in and under blessing. Right? We're going to unpack that more today. But I, but I, just want to, I just want you to think about this for a second, okay? Because I get it. Like we hear they're going to talk about money at church, and our immediate response is to kind of get defensive, right? So I, I don't want to talk about this. This is too personal. You're, you're stepping into my life, man. I don't want to deal with this. I just want you to think about this for a second, okay? If I, if I stood up here and said that over the next month, kind of in the run-up to Easter, we're going to talk about what it takes to take the fight to the enemies in our hearts and the strongholds they've built up in our lives like stress and worry and fear and resentment and anger. All of these things that have existed kind of right below the surface in our lives that have been dragging us down, that have been holding us back, that keep us up at night, and maybe you've been doing that for years. We're going to deal with all of that, and in doing so, learn how to experience the blessing of joy, peace, and satisfaction that comes from God through the Holy Spirit, right, that comes with being freed up disciples of Jesus that live the with God life. If I said that, you'd be like, sign me up, right? I'm in, I'll bring friends, I can't wait. But if I said, hey, listen, um, this week or next week, we're going to have a financial stewardship and and generosity class, uh, there might be a couple of you that show up. Like, eh, okay. I mean, there's probably going to be free food there, right? Bottom line, we'd probably get donuts and coffee. You're right, right? We would. But why is that? Why is that that if I talked about breaking free of strongholds that keep you up at night, that have existed in your life, that have weighed you down, that have been a drag on your life, we'd all show up for that. But if we talk about money, eh, I think I'll just skip that week. And here's why. According to Jesus, in either situation, we'd be talking about the same thing. We're talking about the same thing, but we don't want to talk about money, right? Jesus, let's talk about something else. Can we talk about something different? We don't want to talk about money, despite the fact that if we are being fully honest, the most stressful and tense parts of our lives, right, the conflict, the the cause of conflict and pain in our marriages and in our relationships, right, the, the source of things like shame and regret and anxiety and worry that have filled our pasts, that, that consume our presence, that, that really kind of prevent us from even seeing and hoping in a future. Maybe for some of us, the anger and bitterness that we still hang on to because someone somewhere in our lives mismanaged our family's finances, and in doing so, put us and our family and the people we love at risk. So when we think about money, we talk about finances, the first place we go is anger. Why? Because we saw someone be extremely selfish growing up. They treated this like it was theirs, they spent it the way they wanted to, and it put us and the rest of our family at risk. And so we're angry. And so whatever it may be, fear, stress, worry, anger, bitterness, whatever it may be, the reality is it's all tied to, in, in some way, shape, or form, in our stories, to, to money. And you may go, well, yeah, Brad, that's true, but I still don't want to talk about it, right? Tough, right? Get, like, here we go. I get it, right? M- money, money is personal. 
But, but I need us to understand why Jesus spent more time talking and teaching about money more than anything else. And it wasn't because he needed it. Right? Jesus' ministry was funded. I said this last week. Jesus' ministry was fully funded. I mean, Jesus fundraised for his own ministry. Why? Because it was him and 12 college-age and high school-age guys. They eat a lot, if you don't know this, right? Like, he needed places for them to be able to sleep and stay, and he needed to be able to provide for him. And Jesus' ministry was funded specifically by three women who are named in Scripture. We'll talk more about them next week. But Jesus, he didn't teach about money because he needed it. The reason that Jesus taught about money is because he knew that money was and still is his greatest competition for that, that, that number one space, right? The throne of our hearts, minds, and souls. And Jesus is not, he's, he's not one that just is willing to accept the silver medal in your life. Well, like I showed up and I tried and I did pretty good, right? Money got the gold in their life, but I got silver. Like Jesus is not okay with that. The truth is, because Jesus knows money is the greatest competition for the throne of your heart, mind, and soul, he knows that money is also the best vehicle and it is the most direct route when it comes to getting at the enemies in our, in our hearts and the strongholds of fear and doubt and insecurity and envy and greed and selfishness and shame and regret and anger that they've built up in our lives that now direct and guide our lives. And what Jesus wants for us is to eliminate whatever holds us back Whatever may stand in the way of you and I living what he calls an abundant life that we find in discipleship, that Jesus invites whoever into. We talked about this in our previous series, right? Jesus, he, he didn't look at, he, when, when he invited folks into this discipling relationship with him, he didn't look at, like, he didn't look for the elite. He didn't look for, like, the varsity squad. Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple can be my disciple. And you know what he means by whoever? Whoever, anyone, can be my disciple. And in that, Jesus says, I promise you, an abundant life. A life of abundance when it comes to things like joy and peace and satisfaction and purpose. And so that kind of gets us on the same page. And so what I need us to know is what we're getting ready to unpack today is actually going to set the stage for everything else that's coming in the next few weeks. And so today you really want to lean in and kind of focus in because if we don't get our heads and hearts wrapped around the truth of what we're going to talk about today, it's going to make it hard to kind of move on into what we're going to unpack through the rest of this series. So if you've got your Bible in front of you or your Bible app, go ahead and open that up. We're going to jump around a little bit today. We're going to start in Psalm 24, right? So kind of midpoint of your Bible. Uh, Psalm 24 is using the middle. And here's the thing. If you need a Bible and don't have a hard copy Bible, we have free ones in the back we'd love for you to have, right? You can write things in the margins. You can do all that kind of stuff. So grab a Bible if you don't have one. We want you to have one, but this is a day that you're going to want to highlight and circle and underline and, and take some notes, okay? So Psalm 24 says this. It says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, right? The world and all who live in it. For, which means because, he founded it on the seas and established it on the water, right? So, not rhetorical questions. As you're reading this, it's just to see if you're paying attention. Not rhetorical questions, group participation. Here we go. Who does the earth belong to? The Lord. Good job. What in or on the earth belongs to the Lord? Everything. You're killing it. Good job, right? All right, here's a trick. Well, trickier. Not a, here's a, cur a curveball, right? Who on the earth belongs to the Lord? 
Everyone, or what, what does Psalm say? All who live in it, right? Which means everyone. Why? What's that? Because he founded it. That's exactly right. Good job, good job. So, so church, what we see in this as we read through scripture, right, we ask some of these questions. One of the first ways that we see in the Bible, in these teachings, one of the first ways we take to the, the, the fight to our enemies and engage those strongholds in our hearts like greed and envy and selfishness and resentment and anger and fear is by shifting from an ownership ethos to a stewardship ethos. Now, what are those? Well, let's talk about an ownership ethos first. An ownership ethos would say this, what's mine belongs to me, I own it, and I can do whatever I want to do with it. Right, that's what an ownership ethos is all about. Again, that ethos, like we said, it's that undercurrent. It's that thing that, that maybe you can't see it, but as soon as you step into the water, man, you can feel it. And so while I, I may, we may not be able to see this directly in your life, the truth is if we stepped into your life for just a hot minute, we'd feel that. That's an ownership ethos. So we got to shift from that to a stewardship ethos. What's a stewardship ethos? A stewardship ethos would say everything belongs to God. He owns it. I take care of it, and I do whatever he wants to do with it, right? That's what it looks like. That's the difference between an ownership ethos and a stewardship ethos. And the first way we engage those enemies is to shift from ownership to stewardship. Now, let me just do some defining stuff, okay, so we have a better understanding of this. The dictionary defines a steward, a noun, right, person, place, or thing, as someone who is employed to manage another's property. So, who is a steward? That's who a steward is. It's someone who is employed to manage another person's property. Well, what's the act of stewardship? Stewardship, the verb, is this. It's the responsibility of taking care of something that does not belong to you. Right? So a steward, that's someone who manages somebody else's property. And a steward engages in stewardship. That's the verb. That's the responsibility, the action of taking care of something that doesn't belong to you. Now, Stewardship in the Bible takes it one step further. Biblical stewardship is taking the responsibility to, to care for something that belongs to God, knowing that you will be held accountable for how you did or did not care for God's property. That's real. Right? Here's the thing. In a stewardship ethos, in a biblical stewardship ethos, we are owners of nothing, and we are stewards of everything. And, and Christians, let me just tell you, there's a day coming when you'll stand face-to-face -face with Jesus, and he'll ask you, what did you do with my stuff? How well did you take care of my people? How well did you use what I gave you to advance my kingdom? That's, what, that's what's called accountability. It's giving an account. You're literally going back through, and you're showing Jesus the accounting record of how you took care of what he gave you to use to advance his kingdom and take care of his people. A few weeks ago, I listened to a, a sermon by a pastor at the, the Church of the City in, in New York City. His name's John Tyson. And just by the way, he preaches for like an hour and ten minutes, okay? So I don't want to hear it. Um, it may be he's got like a really cool Australian accent, so maybe if I did that, you, but anyway, here, here's what he said, right? He said that there are three primary ways for us to kind of view economics, all of which answer two main questions, right? Whose money is it? 
and what can they do with it? There are three ways kind of in our world now to view economics and really get these, these questions, of whose money is it and, and what can they do with it? The first one is capitalism. Right? So for the answer to that first question, whose money is it? It's yours. What can you do with it? Whatever you want. Capitalism is rooted in an ownership ethos. Right? You own it. You decide what's done with it. That's number one. Number two would be communism or socialism. Whose money is it? It's the people's money. What can you do with it? You must do as the community needs. And here's the thing, a lot of people don't realize this, communism, so it's still an ownership ethos. Why? Because there's someone who kind of looks at your resources and they decide what to do with your resources because they own your resources and use them however they, they see fit to take care of their way of caring for the community. It's still an ownership ethos. You just don't own it. But it's still an ownership ethos. Someone does. The community owns your money. And someone in the community, they decide what happens with it. So the third one is kingdom of God, right? God's economics. Whose money is it? It's God's money. What can you do with it? Whatever he directs you to do in order to care for who or what he loves as he would do that. So this is a stewardship ethos. Why? Because it's God's money. And when I live in this ethos, when I kind of live in God's economy, right, he directs me when it comes to how to use what, what he's given me that actually belongs to him in the first place to care for what's his like he would. You're like, well, like where did this come from? Like where did this right here come from? Genesis 1, right, first page of the Bible, when God looks at, at Adam and says, here, I'm giving, you, I'm giving you Adam and Eve, I'm giving you a purpose in your life, and that is to provide for and protect each other and protect creation, to use this creation in such a way that when all of creation sees you, they see me. I mean, that's, that's where this started, first page of the Bible. God says, listen, I created all this. And I'm giving it to you, I'm entrusting it to you, to use, to care for each other, and to care for all of creation in the same way that I would steward this. So that when all of creation sees you, they know what I'm like. They get a snapshot of who I am. So you ask the question, well, how long has this like God's kingdom economy been around? Forever. And Tyson went on to say this, he said, we get caught up in the delusion that that our resources are ours. And that once we give this kind of small percentage to God, that's called tithing. We're actually going to talk about that next week. After we do that, the rest is ours to keep. But I love what Tyson said. He said, that's a delusion. Because the truth is, it's all his. It all belongs to him. And it's like, well, where does he get off saying that it's all? He's God, Right? So, so here's the question, like, how do we know, how do we know whether or not right now in this moment we're caught up in an ownership ethos or, or a stewardship ethos? Here's how. How do we know, right, if things like greed or selfishness or envy have, like, set up shop in our, in our heart? Here's how to know that. In an ownership ethos, the focus is not on how much you give, but rather on how much you can keep. And then what you're going to do with it. I heard one pastor call this the consumption assumption. 
which is this. I assume that it's all mine to consume. And just so you know, like that kind of attitude, that kind of mindset formed the core tenets of greed. It's mine. I can do whatever I want to do with it. It's mine to consume. However, however I see fit. The primary focus is on what's mine and what I get to keep, not on what I can give to others. But in a stewardship ethos, our main focus is on generosity and and giving our resources that already belong to God in the first place that meet the needs and the lives of the people that God genuinely cares about in such a way that reflects him. So when people see you, what they really are seeing is a picture of how God feels about them. And again, not a coincidence. These, kind of, these things kind of form the, the, the core tenets and core definitions of things like generosity. The focus is not on keeping for self. It's on giving to others. So if you want to know whether or not you're in an ownership or a stewardship ethos right now in your life, which one, keeping or giving, gets more of your focus and concern? Which one gets more of your time? Which one keeps you up at night? Like, are you, are you staying awake at night right now and going, like, oh, i got to find some way to give away some of my stuff? Or are you up at night right now going, man, i got to hang on to some stuff. In order to be able to make ends meet this week, i I got I to be able to hang on to some stuff. I'd like to be able to give things away. I just don't know that I can do that. What right now gets more of your focus and more of your concern, keeping or giving? What's truly driving your life ethos right now? And I know this is offensive, okay? Greed or generosity? I mean, here's the thing. Like, me too. I'm studying this stuff going, come on, right? These kinds of questions, like, what's driving my life right now? Greed or generosity? Well, I'd like for it to be generosity, but I'll just be honest with you. Sometimes it's not. When you and I begin to think about the resources that we have, which aren't really ours to begin with, Is the first question that comes to your mind, how are you going to give it away? How can you use what you have to advance the cause of Jesus' kingdom? How can you use what you have to reflect God's love for someone in your life? Is that the first thing that comes to mind? Or is the first question, how much much am I going to keep for myself after I give God a little tip, 10%, right, for saving my soul? Thanks, God. Appreciate it. Appreciate you for, for... Thanks for salvation. Here's a little tip. Don't spend it all in one place, buddy, right? In Luke 16, or Luke 12, 16 through 20, Jesus, he tells this story. I told you like really one-third, if not more, almost closer to half of Jesus' story, the stories he tells in his teachings are about money. Here's one of them, Luke chapter 12. Jesus says this, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all of my grain and my goods. And then I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. A lot of us would look at something like this and go, awesome. Right? You want to know 
you know how you can tell if you're in an ownership ethos? This, this is, there's the telltale sign right here, right, of, of this guy is in an ownership ethos. Three, in roughly three sentences, just a handful of verses, this dude in Jesus' story says, I, me, or my, ten times. But, but don't miss this. Don't miss what an ownership ethos speaks to. In this man's life, in Jesus' story, his ownership ethos doesn't speak to his wallet. The ownership ethos speaks to his soul. And it's the same for us. It doesn't speak to your wallet. It doesn't speak to your bank account. It doesn't speak to your resources. It doesn't speak to the, the house you live in or the, the car you drive. It speaks to your soul. What does it say? What does this ownership ethos say to this man's soul? What does it say to, to our soul? Here's what it says. Peace and satisfaction and joy can be yours if you just keep more of your stuff. Does that sound familiar? Because it's pretty much what culture and society blasts from a megaphone 24-7. Peace and joy and satisfaction can be yours if you can make it. See, the ownership ethos, what it does is it convinces us in our souls that owning and keeping more for ourselves is where we can find peace and satisfaction and joy and purpose. And again, Jesus is less concerned about the crops in this guy's barn or the size of his barns or the size of his harvest. Jesus is more concerned about the state and status of this man's soul. Just like he's mostly concerned, above all else, of the state and status of our souls. Because it's a spiritual issue. It's not a barn issue. It's not a crop issue. Here's why Jesus is so concerned. Jesus knows that an ownership ethos is a spiritual issue where what we claim to own really and truly ends up owning us. So let's pick up. In verse 20, see how this kind of shakes out for this dude, right? We know he's built bigger barns for himself. It's like he's kicking back. It's like his retirement is kicked in. Here's what verse 20 says. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you've prepared, whose will they be? All the stuff you've laid up, all the stuff in your barns, who's, who's that going to go and help? So, I'm just going to guess this, right? I'm going to guess right now that this guy probably didn't see this coming, right? He just had the biggest return on investment in his crops in his entire life. He just finished the upgrades to his new barns, and he was sitting back to finally enjoy the peace and joy and satisfaction and purpose that he had been convinced his entire life that he, if he would just own and keep more for himself, he would have peace, joy, satisfaction, and purpose. And then, boom, he died. And Jesus describes his death as a complete, utter, and total loss. Not only did you lose all your stuff, because who's, that's going, who's that going to help now that you're dead? But also, and probably most importantly, he was spiritually lost in an ownership ethos. And so Jesus looks at this and says, it's a complete and total and utter loss, both materially and spiritually. Why? Because his soul was trapped in an ownership ethos. So I know I've shared this story before. I had, um, about six or seven years ago, had this moment where my life just kind of hit a wall. 
Just from a, from a, a, a the, the, the truth is I'd been carrying around things like stress. I'd been carrying around things like regret and anxiety and depression for years. Because in ministry, like, you're not really allowed to tell people, like, but, you know, like, those kinds of things. But the, the truth is I'd been carrying this stuff around for years. And it finally took a toll, right? Like, as I got older, like, my body wasn't able to deal with stress and depression and anxiety like it used to. And eventually, it just stopped. And so I spent the better part of six, eight months in and out of hospitals and clinics and, and hooked up to all kinds of machines and people running tests and doctors coming in going, we don't really know what's wrong with you. And it hit me one night as I was laying in a hospital bed. What if this is it? Like, what if I don't ever get out of here? What if these, like, last few days, weeks or months, what if they're my last? I didn't plan for this. This was not a part of how I saw my 40s starting, right? I didn't plan for this. I didn't, I didn't see this coming. But here I am, laying in a hospital bed, hooked up to all kinds of stuff, people coming in to check to see if I'm still breathing. Where would the ethos of my life have taken me if that were it? Would there have been a chance in that moment that Jesus would look at my life and say, that's a complete and total loss, both materially and spiritually? Because the truth is this, I mean, was I living in a stewardship or an ownership ethos? I didn't see that coming. I wasn't waiting for that. I didn't have that. My, my life was not, I was not prepared for that. I didn't have time to go, you know what, I'm going to spend about a uh, better part of like, you know, two, about half, two, two-thirds of a year in the hospital. Um, I'm going to go ahead and start stewarding now so I'm ready for that. No, it just happened. And so that stewardship or ownership ethos, that what what was happening in my life? Was it a stewardship ethos? Was it an, what, like, what was running my life? What was guiding and directing my life? Was I treating all of the things that I had like they were mine? Or was I understanding that they really and truly belonged to God? Were my financial decisions being made by only me? Was I the only one making these financial decisions? How many times in my own financial stupidity did I put myself and my family at risk? And I share this not to be like melodramatic, but just to wake us up to the truth. Nowhere in the Bible are we promised or guaranteed to see tomorrow. Something that we did not see coming, weren't ready for, didn't plan on, can happen at any minute. And we have to be able to see, right, that the ethos of our lives will either have led us to a place of complete and total spiritual and material loss or to a place of I leveraged what I was given and entrusted to by God to take care of who and what rightfully belonged to him. And now I get Jesus and the fullness of the eternal life that, he's off, that he offers, which, by the way, is the greatest gain you could ever experience. But that's what hangs in the balance. So my question is this, why would you put off dealing with the enemies of selfishness and greed and the stronghold of an ownership ethos in your lives for another second? Let me say this again, stewardship, it's not a stuff issue. It's a spirit issue. The money in your bank account, the cars in your garage, the vacations you go on, the square footage of your house, all of that is neutral. 
None of that, neither, neither part of that is good or bad, right? But what's not neutral is how we use them, why we have them, and what we expect from them. That's not neutral. That stuff can either be used to serve ourselves or they can be used to serve God's mission and desire to care for others. This has so little to do with your stuff, so little to do with your cash flow, and has so much more to do with your heart and with your spirit. If your reason for having whatever you have is because you expect for your stuff to provide you with peace and joy and satisfaction and purpose, I'm just telling you right now, you're setting yourself up for a massive disappointment. And Jesus says this in Mark chapter 8. He says, what good, for it, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? What's worth your soul? An ownership ethos will try to convince you in your spirit that gaining the whole world at the exchange of your soul is worth it. That it's a good bargain. And in exchange for your soul, you're going to get peace and joy and satisfaction from, from what you own or what you have or what you accomplish. So we, Jesus asked the question, what's, what's worth your soul? The ownership ethos will put a number next to that question and say, it's worth it. But a stewardship ethos, that recognizes that all the resources in the world belong to God. And that they're used and they're entrusted to, to us to meet all of the needs of all the people that he loves and cares about. And that's when true peace, joy, satisfaction, and purpose come from him. See, the ownership ethos would say, hey, find your, your purpose and your joy and your peace and your satisfaction from your stuff. God says, hey, let me handle that. I'll give you peace and joy and satisfaction and purpose. And trust me, here's the thing. I've heard this argument because I've tried to make it, right? I, I told you that I would be honest that Christy and I in our lives and in our marriages, like we, we've, we've, we've not always made the best financial decisions. And I've made this argument. I've prayed this prayer before. I've had this conversation with God. Well, God, if you would just give me more, then I could be more generous. Like, God, if you took better care of me financially, then I could help all the people that you want me to help. And I'll just tell you what God told me. Nice try. When it comes to stewardship versus ownership, those ethos, right? Why would God trust us with more money and more resources if we aren't faithful to what he's already given us? Why would he do that? And I heard one preacher preaching on this say, you know, like that may sound harsh, but the truth is, you know, somewhere deep down in your heart, you actually agree with God on this. Like, why would I trust you with more if you're not being faithful with what I've already given you? Like, if you're not faithful with 100 bucks, why is God going to give you 1,000? My, my, my friend Jim Bergen in his church, he called this spiritual and financial constipation. Because it gets stuck. It's not just financial, it's spiritual and financial. Why? Because... God's resources get stuck in a spiritual ownership ethos that poisons our soul with things like greed. And that results in the needs of the people around us not being met, which is why Jesus says this in Luke 16. He says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. That's just true. 
If I can trust you with a little bit, that shows me I can trust you with more. But if the little bit that I've given you, you're dishonest with that, then you're just going to continue to be dishonest when, when I give you more. And so he says, if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, why would I give you anything of your own? One author I read this week said this, whatever you choose to do with what God has currently entrusted to you, which is your current level of faith and faithfulness related to your money, reveals the priority that God holds in your life. And that has a direct and proportional effect on how much God will trust you with and how much he will bless you in the future. And again, I just want to say this. We're not talking prosperity gospel. Right? This is not something of, you know, if you'll just give this much, then God will bless you with this much. Right? It's not name it and claim it. It's not prosperity gospel. That's not what we're doing. We're not trying to buy God's favor. Right? We don't get God's favor through our finances. We, we lean into God's favor through our faith. It's not our finances that save us. It's our faith in Jesus. We're actually going to talk more about this next week, but, but, but God's blessing throughout Scripture always runs through faith and faithfulness. But that blessing always comes on the other side of faith and faithful action. See, God is faithful. He is faithful. And God is faithful to meet our faith and faithfulness with his own unique brand of faithfulness. But that comes on the backside of when we have faith and we take action and we trust that he's going to provide. God wants to bless us. Jesus says God is good. He knows how to bless you. He knows what you need before you even ask it. And God wants good for you. So God wants to bless us. But that blessing always comes after we demonstrate faith and faithfulness because he needs to know he can trust us. And here's the thing. I, I know I say that this is, not, this is not prosperity gospel, and it's not, but when we think about God's blessing us, we, you know, here's the thing. It may or may not be financial blessing. It may or may not be, but don't, don't assume that it will be. Don't assume that, that by trusting God with your finances that he's then gonna also financially bless you. That may or may not happen. Don't assume that it, that it will be, but also don't assume that it won't. There have been times when it's been very clear and again, I'm not tooting my own horn. I'm just sharing with you, honestly, from my own life. There have been times when, when it's been very clear that, that God says to Christy and I, I want you to give to this. And we've looked at our checking account and went, I don't know that we have that, but okay. And it's crazy what happens. Opportunities to, to speak at certain engagements for me or, or things like, different leadership opportunities for Christy and her school come and those things usually come with a check hey thanks for speaking at this or hey thanks for, for, for doing this or leading this team and it's crazy because every time that we've done this and every time we felt God lay stuff like this on our heart the, the amount that gets made up is usually almost equal to if not greater than what we gave up God's blessing through our faith always brings peace and joy and satisfaction and I'll add purpose to that. That goes far beyond our situations and circumstances, which means we can experience peace even when there's conflict all around us. 
And peace, just so you know, in scripture, isn't the absence of conflict, it's wholeness in the midst of conflict. We can experience joy even when we mourn or grieve. We can experience satisfaction even when things are uncertain in our lives. And we can experience a greater purpose in what our lives are all about. And I want to share one thing with you, something that we talked about this past week in our, our elders meeting. So elders, we got around a table this, this week and we talking a little bit about what we're talking about in this series. And, and we've made the decision this past Wednesday that, that as we go forward, adventure, any money that as a church we spend to improve our building. I'm not talking about maintain, I'm talking about improve. So anytime we do something to improve our spaces, whether that's upgrading technology, whether that's buying new seats, whatever, anything we do to improve the, this space, we will tack on an additional 10% to whatever that dollar amount is that will be given away. We are not going to build bigger barns at Adventure. We are not going to seek to just improve spaces for the sake of, hey, we like it better and it looks cooler. Anything we do to improve this space, we'll, we will tack on an additional 10% of whatever that bottom line is that will be used to either support our mission partners further, that will be used to, to do something maybe in the city that the city needs done and they just don't have the financial resources to do it. Well, Adventure wants to help because here's what this is about, right? I wanna make sure that we connect what this vision is all about. This is not about finances. This is not uh, just about money in an account somewhere. This is not just about deciding to do with percentages of this, that, or the other. What this is about and what adventure is all about is as a community and as a family of faith, through stewardship, we can eradicate need in our community. That's what you see happen in Acts chapter 2. I mean, people showed up and they were selling fields, they were selling houses, they were giving up all of their stuff. Why? So that no one would have need. Can you imagine what it would be like if every single parent family in J-Town, Middletown knew, hey, my needs will be met. Why? Because adventure's here. And adventure looks a whole lot like Jesus. Can you imagine? No, no more hunger. No more uncertainty, no more past due rent payments, no more my, my lights got shut off, my water got shut off. Why? Because we stewarded. We decided to get out of an ownership ethos and get into a stewardship ethos. And in doing that, now we discovered we're able to, to eradicate need, not just in this community, but all over the world through our mission partners. That's what this is about. Do I want you to give to adventure? Absolutely I do. Because every dollar you give here, like Sarah said, 12% of that right now goes out the door. Our goal is to get to 20. Whereas a church, we survive on 80%, but 20% of our operating budget goes straight out the door to eradicate needs in our community and communities around the world. To look like Jesus in this community and communities around the world. That's what we're about. So I'm gonna pray for us and, and we're gonna worship. And I would just say this, if today you, you wanna trust Jesus with your life, I'd love to meet you down front. If today you want prayer, I can meet you down front. If you wanna join our church, I'd love to meet with you down front. If you just wanna spend some time praying at the foot of the cross, you can do that. But we're gonna worship together. The song that we're about to sing is a song we introduced last week. It's a song that comes straight out of the Sermon on the Mount. After Jesus 
teaches about money, he teaches about anxiety, and he points to things like, look at the birds, look at the flowers, look at the grass. If God takes care of them, how much more will God take care of you? This has less to do, again, with our finances and has everything to do with the fact that God is willing to put his character on the line. You just say, trust me. Trust me because you'll see how trustworthy I am. Let me pray for us and let's worship. Jesus, we love you. And today we just praise you that you make it possible for us to enter into this life of abundance and discipleship. And so, Lord, we want to be disciples that make disciples. And, Lord, we trust you and we believe that you are a God. Like the song says, you're not empty-handed, but you have blessings upon blessings upon blessings that you meet our faith and faithfulness with your own faithfulness that is unlike any other. So, Jesus, I pray today that we would lean into your faithfulness and that you would lead us out of ownership ethos and into a stewardship ethos where we trust you with everything you've entrusted to us. We love you and we pray all this in your name. Amen.